Today is a special day as it marks the 100th episode of the BAST Singing Teachers Talk podcast. I just wanted to take a second to do a massive shout out to all of the incredible guests we've spoken with and also to you, our amazing listeners. To thank you for joining us, we're running a very special giveaway worth over £1,000 where you could win a bunch of educational videos, a 12-month subscription to the BAST membership and much more singing teacher goodness. All you need to do to enter is take a screenshot of this episode on the podcast playing on your device, pop it onto your social media story and tag at BAST training. That's it. You're entered. We'll be announcing winners over on Instagram and Facebook. So give us a cheeky follow. Competition entry ends at midnight tonight. So get screenshotting onto the podcast. And I have great company for this milestone episode as I am joined by Duncan Rock, a Guildhall School of Music and Drama graduate who has had an active career as an operatic baritone performing roles at many of the world's leading opera houses. He is a nutritionist working with the likes of Vocal Health Education and the Voice Care Centre and he is currently training to be a physiotherapist. Duncan Rock, welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast and to our 100th episode. How are you? I'm well and thank you for having me and what an honour to be on the triple digit episode. I'm flattered. You're very special. You're very special. <laughs> I'm just going to kick off by asking you, what is your foodie treat? As in what? what's my sort of naughty um, thing I don't ever admit to people? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what? My I guess my number one is I just, I love pizza I, 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 of any kind. Good, you know, Neapolitan style. Um, sort of, you know, trendy pizza or even like a Pizza Hut. It's it's the thing I just, I can't go without um, at least once in a while. It's my it's kind of number one. Mine is crisps. And I like to think of myself like a bit of a crisp connoisseur, if you like. Oh, wow. Do you do like a crisp tasting, um, like a tasting menu? of? Yes, I would have that. It's <laughs> okay. not just stuck to the Walkers and the Pringles. You know, we go to kettle chips, we go to Tyrrells. We've got, we've got the palate for a crisp in this household. What's the best crisp? I don't think there is a best crisp. Okay, they're all good. Suit the scenario that you're in, I think. So, I mean, right now, lentil crisps are quite good. Proper, I think, is the brand. They're very good. Okay. A little snackette. But if you're going in, if you want something dirty, you need like a kettle chip, like this sour cream and chili red packet. Absolutely divine. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I mean, I say pizza, but I could have said one of many, many things that I enjoy eating. Yeah. I, I, I can't have crisps in the house, if I'm honest. It, I could eat them all. I don't think there's a limit to my crisp eating abilities. No. And it's not, don't get a bowl, just put your hand straight in the sharing packet and go no, for that's it. that's a serving, right? The whole, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Cross yeah. out the family part of that sentence and you're, you're fine. <laughs> you go. But for many people, that treat is going to be chocolate. And it's kind of part of our lifestyle. We have it for birthdays. We've had Valentine's Day. Easter's coming up. We get loads of it at Christmas. It's like Tuesday nights or whenever chocolate's going to be part of our life. But singers, however, seem to have developed this ritual of avoidance. I never eat chocolate before I sing. And I took a quick Google using the search, should I eat chocolate before I sing? And I just wanted to kind of read out some of the things that popped up. The high sugar and caffeine content of chocolate can badly impact your vocal cords. 
the natural caffeine content will dry you out and constrict the muscles around the vocal cords. Okay. It can create mucus. It coats okay. the back of the throat. It gives you more phlegm and a flatter sounding voice. So before we dig into that, where has this idea come from that we shouldn't eat chocolate before we sing? Yeah, it's 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 a funny one because it's simultaneously really complicated and really simple. Um, sorry to start with a, a conundrum like that or a, um, uh, something that doesn't really make sense, but it, I think you really you hit the nail on the head when you said there's a ritual of avoidance. Um, I think there's it sort of has developed a culture of suffering for one's art mm. perhaps on one sort of one hand and also maybe i think they sense to be, there can be a bit, of, a bit of a performative aspect to it i think singers in my experience and i mean this with wonderful respect i love singers you know singers are my people but um a bit of a performative aspect to it oh no i can't have dairy I have rehearsals today. Oh, I, I have performance tonight. You know, a bit of a, an opportunity to talk about what oneself and what we're up to as a singer. Absolutely fine. I don't mean it as a criticism, but I think there's definitely a performative aspect to the culture of, of it. In terms of the actual physiological, nutritional reality, there's very little evidence that... Um, I know you mentioned specifically chocolate, but obviously chocolate is a dairy product. And so it, it all tends to stem from uh, avoidance or fear of dairy products. Um, interesting that the things that seem to stand out from your Google search were caffeine, sugar, and this idea of mucus. So dairy, milk, yogurt, cheese, chocolate, whatever, does not create mucus. This, this, is, just, this is just a myth. I, I don't know exactly who invented it, um, but it, it, there's no evidence for it. It doesn't create mucus. And there isn't even, it's not even really a, a hypothesis. There's no proposed mechanism of how dairy could create mucus. It's just a notion. People think it's, it, what, it's what happens. Dairy, milk particularly, but any dairy product, and, and the further away you get from just standard milk, the less this becomes relevant. But milk is an emulsion, which means it's fat droplets suspended in a liquid. There is some evidence that for some people and, and some people from time to time, liquids that are emulsions can create a sort of transient feeling of thickness or heaviness around the throat area because they are sort of viscous. You know, if you take a glass of water, tip it on its side a little bit and then bring it back, none of it sort of sticks to the glass, really. Whereas if you do that with milk, you know, tip it, tip it to the side and then bring it back, you'll see this residue of milk on the glass for some period of time until it gradually sort of um, dissipates again. The same thing kind of happens in your throat. Um, so you can get this very transient feeling of stickiness, heaviness, mucusiness that people recognize, and, and that's absolutely fine. Look, it will go away with time, and it will normally just go away with a glass of water. The reason I sort of caution people about just blanket avoidance of dairy is that direct investigation into this phenomenon has shown that that same feeling of mucusiness, heaviness, stickiness, also is experienced with non-dairy emulsion liquids. So for example, one direct study that tested this feeling between cow's milk, dairy, and soy milk 
showed that the people who felt they experienced this this heaviness, this stickiness, did so with both drinks. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually the dairy itself. It's the fact that it's an emulsion. It's the sort of quality of the liquid. Mm-hmm. And the reason, look, it's, it's no big deal, but the reason I caution is because what will singers often do when they have to sing tonight or rehearse today, they'll go and get their, you know, flat white, their, their latte, and they'll order it with soy milk or oat milk or whatever, because they think that it'll have a positive effect on this phenomenon. But of course, they're just as likely to experience the same thing with a soy-based drink. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So I feel like, you know, do I, am I personally invested in singers drinking milk? You know, I I, I haven't just opened a dairy farm. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to sell anyone a cow. Like I don't, it's not a big deal, but you know, it, it, it sort of all plays into this performative aspect of of dairy avoidance but of course if you're avoiding it for something that's going to have the exact same effect you're not getting any actual benefit you're just making the sort of sacrifice for Mm -hmm. for no reason in terms of sugar so that was the other thing you mentioned about chocolate specifically yeah the high sugar content yeah look sugar look generally we all consume a little bit too much sugar um whether it has that much of an impact acutely I'm not convinced yet. It, it, sugar overconsumption of sugar is is more of a sort of long term phenomenon. We we ever consume sugar for a long period of time, you know, months, years, then we start to have negative health effects. It can be pro inflammatory in the body. Um, whether it's so pro inflammatory, you would notice acutely. Once again, I'm not convinced, but generally speaking, we all consume a little bit too much processed sugar, and consuming less is probably a good idea for most people. Whether it acutely affects your vocal cords, I'm yet to see the effect. I'm yet to see the evidence that that's um, that's a thing. It just seems to be something that people say. Mm. And then in terms of caffeine, this is another myth. You know, caffeine does not dehydrate you necessarily. It there is some impact that uh, sorry there is some evidence that it has a diuretic effect on the body, a slight diuretic diuretic, diuretic effect. Um, once again, it, it varies into individual and also intra individual. It might affect you one day differently to another. Mm. The, all the evidence that I've read suggests that it's overblown. It, it doesn't really have a, although it's it's a sort of technical phenomenon. It's not so significant that you would notice anything. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so once again, it, it's it's it seems to be just something that people say. You know, I. I when I was initially doing all my research into this stuff, you know, the singer, the standard singer myths, you will notice that everyone and their grandmother has a sort of, you know, top 10 list, foods to avoid, foods to eat for singers. The truth is most of it isn't really based in anything, any any real evidence. Um, people just, you know, it's 2023. People love sharing their opinions on the internet. Um, and the reason I'm sort of... I like to caution people against this sort of thing or just advise people to be mindful or wary of this stuff is, you know, for singers, working singers, we have, you know, relatively high stress job, often lots of travel, often unusual hours, um, you know, throw into things like jet lag, lack of sleep, colds, flus, now coronavirus. Do we not have enough reasons to be neurotic and stressed out? And if you can free yourself of the shackles of some of these unhelpful myths like 
milk's bad for my voice, caffeine's bad for my voice, stuff like that. You've just got a little bit less to worry about. And I think for most people, that's probably a good thing. Mm. I think we've learned anyway, haven't we, from when we notice a little twinge in the body or an ache if we go to google and we type in what does this mean we'll be told we're going to die next week yeah exactly the internet is is just the most amazing tool obviously um but the longer we have it the more bad information proliferates on there uh, it, it we're not just talking about nutrition here and so th- this this sort of now term that gets thrown about of well i'm doing my own research there's layers to that um and if it's just you google something and you open the first th- five things that um that come up on the google search those are just the most popular things there's no there's no reason why why uh why those might be the most valuable mm. things so it's just a little caution can can go a long way mm. is there any evidence to suggest that there are foods that create more phlegm and mucus that we might want to avoid as singers i've looked into this a lot and it, it, it's um unfortunately quite a minefield mm. like in the same way that reflux you know foods that exacerbate reflux or or you know mitigate against reflux unfortunately it seems that it is hugely subject to inter-individual variability um so what might uh sort of cause mucus in me might actually alleviate mucus in you same with reflux it, it unfortunately it, it this is unfortunately we, you know we like these things like top five foods to avoid top five foods to eat but it's, unfortunately it's not necessarily that simple in a lot of cases in my opinion from what i've read and in terms of the res- the best results i've got from from patients i've worked with trying to manage chronic inflammation in the body and also digestive health seems to have the best overall net result for these things for for any sort of vocal health issue that falls into these categories whether it's mucus or 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 reflux things like that um we in a in a modern lifestyle chronic inflammation is becoming an increasingly significant issue mainly through stress and the consumption of highly processed foods a diet that's high in 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 highly processed foods um if we can sort of manage that a little bit it seems to have a a net impact not just on overall systemic health but on on these these issues that vocal artists often come to to us a singing teacher or someone like myself someone who works on vocal health time and time again mm-hmm. going back to the sugar content of of such things like chocolate how much would we actually have to consume to enter into inflammation it 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 does vary and unfortunately there's sugar there's sugar and then there's sugar when i when i say sugar of course i'm not talking about an apple or a banana mm-hmm. um, or some blueberries it, i would focus more on things like what we call extrinsic sugars so food uh, sugars that are added to products that don't necessarily that wouldn't naturally have that much sugar containing within them you know if you have an apple that may have this is where a lot of people get a bit confused or kind of start to go astray if i had a large apple with 25 grams of sugar in it that might sound like a lot of sugar you know that's like the same amount as a a can of coke or something like that Mm -hmm. but the sugar is contained within this fibrous matrix which has a which means that the processing and digesting and therefore the effect of that sugar on your body 
is ends up being very, very different to if you just drink it in a can of Coke or eat a big chocolate bar with 25 grams of sugar. Mm-hmm. So unless someone has some sort of metabolic um, pathology, diabetes type 2, diabetes being the most common one, I think it, it's not necessary to focus on sugars that are found naturally in foods, but extrinsic sugars we, we should look at. It sounds quite strict, but I would say if people can keep to under about 25 to 30 grams of extrinsic sugars per day, that would be optimal. Mm-hmm. That would be optimal um, for inflammation levels, for metabolic health, and for the subsequent issues that we may experience vocally due to those, due to that ill health. Um, it, unfortunately, it's, I don't like to, you know, it's not poison. I know I, I, you might listen to podcasts or videos or read articles that relates to the effects of sugar as being a poison for the body. And I can understand why people say that. I don't think it's helpful to think of it as poison because, you know, it's not like botulism or something, it, it, you know, it's, it's very different. Um, and we can process very well as an amount of even extrinsic sugars and, and that's fine, but we all consume too much. We all consume too much. And, and as a general rule, the less, the better, but if you can keep it under 30 grams a day, that would be amazing. For people who may have an intolerance to dairy, like a, a lactose intolerance, what might be the vocal impacts of the symptoms that they have if they were to ingest something that would make them react in a certain way? Yeah, so obviously lactose intolerance is a real thing. It's a genetic. Um, it tends to affect, um, you could broadly say, uh, non-Caucasian populations more than Caucasian populans, populations. It seems that South or Southeast Asian populations seem to have the most um, incidence of lactose intolerance. The symptoms tend to be gastric. Mm-hmm. So flatulence, or, you know, it, I mean, the, the vocal impact it will have is it would be embarrassing yeah. to be on stage <laughs> or in rehearsals and your your colleagues might not like you very much. You could just pretend um, that you're doing a lip trill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's good. I, I feel like that came very quickly to you. Is, is that something you've you, to use it quite a few times. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember to pass that on. Um, yeah, it, 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 the symptoms of lactose intolerance are gastric. Um, mm stomach upset and of course you know that means you, you're just not going to sing your best because you're 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 uncomfortable um mm. you probably probably will impact your support mechanism a little bit um so yeah if you i mean l- you know lactose intolerance is, is a, a separate category in, in although related to singing mm. i think in my experience as a singer lactose t- intolerance falls into a very different world to the main reasons i tend to hear singers avoiding dairy yeah yeah for sure. normally it's because they think it it makes mucus in the throat which it doesn't and if someone is off that belief system that i can't eat chocolate before i go to sing they learn this that actually it might not be such a bad thing for you to do and then they eat it what part is the brain going to play in changing your mind like are we still going to have that effect of yeah but i was told that we shouldn't so i'm going to feel mucus even if i don't have mucus yeah maybe i mean obviously like psychosomatic illness isn't isn't so much my you know i've read about it a lot um but it it's certainly not my um field of expertise but you know once again like if your first singing teacher 20 years ago told you not to eat chocolate before you sing i mean 
it's not bad advice. I mean, it, you know, you're not going to, it's not, it's not necessarily going to negatively impact your life. You're not missing out on the benefits of chocolate or what, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's just more of a, it's more of that general thing that I touched on. You know, we, we don't need these reasons to be neurotic. We have enough of stress and anxiety and worry in a modern context. At least that seems to be what I see yeah. performing artists and, you know, just free yourself. But, you know, you, I, I'm not, I'm not advocating that we all eat more chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but yeah, you, you may have that if, because you've avoided chocolate for 25 years, that the eating, it's so deeply ingrained that the eating of a piece of chocolate will stress you out and cause you anxiety. Just, just don't worry about it. Don't, don't eat it. But I, uh, I, I think as, as someone who works in, in allied health, it, there's you know as a, as a physiotherapist and a nutritionist we're always looking to get to the the best distillation of objective truth mm. so that's that's the position i come from because i think that that's what gives us the best results on on you know on the on the grandest scale so um it's it, that's why i'm such a stickler for like well they're actually you know i know there's this myth but there's no evidence for it so let's let's focus on stuff that matters yeah speaking of truths I don't really like chocolate all that much. Well, you're a crisp. You're you. We've we've already determined you're a crisp. Yeah. You're more of a so you're a savory fan. Not I'm a savory. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will have. I'll have a piece. I'll have some. I mean, in lockdown, I think I went through fourteen bars of M- Milky Bar. Um, it just came came upon me. That's what I needed. But okay. the the idea of taking you know more than one out of the hotel chocolat or the quality street. I can't do it. It makes me feel sick. Oh, wow. Okay. There is, there is, um, it it was very trendy for a while, about five years ago, for people to talk about the chemical effect of, of, of sugar, of chocolate Mm. on the brain. And, and a lot of people, you know, made interesting documentaries or wrote interesting articles about how it can have a similar effect on the brain as cocaine or, or certain drugs. And, there's been experiments that have taken place where they've taken people who were like really addicted to chocolate. Mm. I, I forget the specifics of, of the, of the, the hormones and the chemicals, cause it's not my field, but they, they gave them a drug that blocked a certain receptor in the brain. And these people were then no longer interested in chocolate. So it showed that actually it wasn't so much the, um, the the oral sensation the taste mouthfeel sensation that they're addicted to it was the chemical impact it was having on their brain so you may just be you may be someone who's just less receptive less receptive to that chemically than than other people in one of your many amazing webinars that you presented for vocal health education you mentioned that the consumption of the amino acid tryptophan is helpful in the production of serotonin and melatonin so firstly what on earth is an amino acid and why are serotonin and melatonin important to us as people and as singers yeah oh gosh great question and i'm so happy that you um that people have been paying attention to the webinars i hope i hope anyone who's listened has has found them valuable so amino acids are the building blocks of proteins of course protein being one of the three main macronutrients that we consume protein carbohydrates and fats we generally associate protein, the macronutrient, as being associated with animal products, you know, steak, chicken, eggs. But of course, it's found in plenty of plant foods as well. You know, obviously all the beans and legumes and 
a lot of carbohydrates, oats and rice and bread and even vegetables have have trace amounts of, of, of protein. So the amino acids are the building blocks of the protein. And there are 20 that make up the the um the human the sort of cells of the human body, nine of which we consider to be essential amino acids. Now that doesn't mean they're better than the non-essential amino acids, but they it means we cannot synthesize them in the human body from other compounds, from other proteins, amino acids. We have to consume them directly, mm. which is why they're essential. It doesn't mean they're better. They just, we can't synthesize them. So that's what an amino acid is. So it's just the building blocks of, of proteins in the same way that different types of sugars are the building blocks of, of carbohydrates, you know, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, things like that. Tryptophan is one of, one of the amino acids. And what we found is that it's an essential sort of catalyst, it's an essential sort of a building block for the hormones tryptophan and melatonin. Melatonin, of course, is what helps you sort of fall asleep, particularly, you know, that sleep latency. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, some people sometimes take melatonin as a, as a synthetic supplement to help them get to sleep. It can be very helpful with jet lag. But of course, you produce it in your body every night when you fall asleep. And serotonin is the um, the sort of feel good kind of relaxy hormone, sort of mm-hmm. somewhat inversely related to, to cortisol. Um, so what certain studies have sort of deduced and found is that if you are amino acid deficient, protein deficient, particularly this amino acid tryptophan, which is essential to, to create these two hormones, People, those people have lower levels of these hormones than is optimal in their body. Um, so one trick, a sort of nutritional piece of advice or trick I give people who are particularly highly stressed, finding it hard to relax, finding it hard to sleep, is actually to increase their protein intake generally. It's not like you need to start supplementing specifically with tryptophan because if you just eat protein, you'll you get enough. Um, and it can sometimes help people um, with their with their sleep and sometimes help people just they're relaxing for, for hormonal reasons. Mm. And if I'm not wrong, tryptophan is found in some dairy products. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's found, it's traditionally, it's found in what people associate with like the Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> so like turkey um, and like things like pumpkin seeds randomly have quite a lot of tryptophan. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, if you, after Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, you kind of feel a little bit sleepy is it won't, it, you know, obviously it's largely because you've just eaten a huge meal and you kind of fall and you, your blood's all in your digestive system. But one of the reasons that contributes to that is this influx of, of, of tryptophan for some people, which then helps them produce those relaxing hormones. Um, but yeah, it, it's also found in, in dairy products and, and so forth. It's again, it's, it's not one of the things that people need to become, you know, I need to get my 4.3 grams of tryptophan a day. No, no. If you just up your protein intake, generally, it tends to look after itself. As well as the work that you do as a nutritionist and as a singer yourself, you have been training to be a physiotherapist. So how is that going for you? It's been amazing. It's been amazing. I, I sort of, it's, it feels like I've come full circle because when I was, um, a young man in Australia and sort of unsure of what I wanted to do with my life. Um, just as this musical journey was beginning for me, where, which then eventually sort of took me to the UK in this kind of whirlwind event, 
you know, being a physiotherapist was kind of very much in my mind, you know, going and studying, you know, a master's degree or even an undergraduate degree in, in physiotherapy. It's obviously, it's quite a big industry in Australia. Um, you know, the whole physiotherapy is a much more outdoorsy, sporty culture. Yeah. But of course, um, the sort of option, I, I ended up following this, this scholarship I won to come to the UK, study music and, and went on that journey instead. And um, to, to have the opportunity to come back and 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 sort of scratch that itch has been amazing. It's been amazing. Um, the, I love the academic study of it. In fact, I'm I'm in the middle of of of, of a research project on on um, lower back pain, which I've um, I've been uh, sort of seeing participants on that quite a lot recently. And then, of course, I've now coming towards the end of a, a really uh, fulfilling year working in the NHS um, in various departments, cardiac rehab neuro uh, neuro rehab musculoskeletal i've just finished at a fracture in orthopedics and a fracture clinic and um it's been a, a really eye-opening and and a fantastic experience um seeing the inside of a hospital uh particularly in, in what is i think most people understand to be quite a difficult time for mm. people thing the nhs um and i'm I, yeah i'm very i'm very happy to have to have had that experience mm. in your studies currently has there anything that's made you ponder something about the singer and their physiology at all? Yeah, as um, two things. Um, obviously, my my particular interest is is lumbar, spinal pathologies, particularly lower back pain and, and lower back pathologies, the various kinds, bulging discs and torn muscles and, and spondylosis, things like that. And I'm very, very interested in, and possibly a topic for a PhD one day, the the potential impact of diaphragmatic breathing on the treatment of lower back pain mm. seems to be that there might be something really valuable there um so to be i guess that's one for the for the future but look of course the other one that that keeps on coming up you know whether i like it or not um particularly as a nutritionist and a physiotherapist is this idea of 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 body weight and the mm. voice um I, I'm, I'm not so sure it's it's so prominent in other areas, but, you know, sort of like dairy, you know, you need to avoid dairy, things like that. There is this weird sort of remnant of the cultural past of opera that somehow one needs to be overweight to to produce an operatic sound. Um, and I'm very interested in in if there's any truth to that, what, what the potential mechanism could be, uh, why it's become so prominent. You know, it's it's. So far, uh, well, I mean, to not to give the game away, but so far I, I can see none and I, I've looked. Um, mm. But I'm very interested because it's a sort of, I'm going to call it a myth that I have heard at every single level of the profession from otherwise very, very knowledgeable people. Um, I heard it when I first started to sing a little bit in Perth, Western Australia. I was told that, you know, if you you know, do too much exercise, you won't be able to sing. Why? I'm not sure. Uh, I heard it at the Guildhall when I was studying. I heard it at English National Opera, Glyndebourne, all the way to singing roles at the Metropolitan Opera. So it's it's pervasive. But the more I look, the sort of less evidence I see um, to support this. Once again, it's, it's not even a hypothesis. You know, people, when you really grill people on it, they don't have a reason that they think it's the case. It's really just a notion. And so a cultural notion, but one that's deep-seated into the culture of particularly classical music. I'm not sure. Do, do people talk about this in in musical theatre, or is it is it? 
I think there is a, or there has been a body uh, weight conversation, especially on the dancer side. Um, I think when Adele lost a bit of, of weight, there was that conversation of, well, is her voice going to change and, and that sort of thing. But um, in terms of contemporary music, I personally haven't had a conversation about whether somebody should have a larger body weight or a smaller body weight. But a lot of people who do mention it talk about Pavarotti. Yeah, I mean, Pavarotti is an amazing singer. Mm. Um, I would say an amazing singer despite his mm. weight, not because of it. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, the, the, the best argument that I seem to come up against is people who want to play a sort of tit for tat game. Well, what about this singer X who was overweight and is amazing? And then you can just go, well, what about this singer? Why? Who wasn't overweight and was also amazing. You know, th this is a this is a sort of game of tit for tat that gets us nowhere. And it's of course it's 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 quite a low level conversation. What I'm interested in is mechanism. What is what is the hypothesized mechanism of action? Why, what does adipose tissue around the midsection of the body do that improves vocal sound? And so far, I, I haven't found anything, in fact. Um, and in fact, fair amount of evidence to the contrary mm. you know of course it just to be clear um i, I realize because oh, you know it's it's a um, body weight is a contentious issue in medicine generally because it's um because it's it's burdened it's by the baggage of culture mm. um in fact for my um i'm giving a presentation for some of the orthopedic surgeons uh, in a couple of months about body weight stigma and discrimination in orthopedic treatment mm. um it's not just in singer world that this baggage um, exists. It's 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 um it's kind of everywhere. So I understand that the conversation can be challenging, and 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 can get confusing because when you start to talk about things from medical principles, people seem to struggle to differentiate the cultural baggage attached to it. But if we can do that, we can have a a, a very open and honest conversation from physiological, medical, scientific principles without any judgment attached to it. You know, I, I, I don't have any personal investment in someone else's body weight. It, it, you know, it's, it's none of my business, but I'm interested in, I'm interested, once again, I come back to that. I'm interested in getting to the truth of it, the, 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 the finest distillation of the truth of the physiology of it. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a couple of studies earlier. Are there any other resources that you would advise that we check out on the topic of nutrition or dairy myths or anything like that? Yeah, it 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 can be tricky because once again, it, it, you have to. The, you can read something on the internet, and, you, and it doesn't. You don't know the source of it. Obviously, if if anyone can develop at least a little bit their scientific literacy, it can really go a long way. And it, you don't have to go and do a PhD, but just a, a kind of general understanding of how to read a scientific paper, like something you'd find on on PubMed or even Google Scholar or something, because at least you know that these papers who have gone, that have gone through peer review, at least you know they've been scrutinized. Um, there's a sort of very, very intense process, I'm going through it right now, of ethics and, and, and checking and peer checking and all that kind of stuff that, that helps distill truth from nonsense. And also there's just a general, I'm not saying that everyone follows it all the time, but there is an ethos in the scientific methodology of trying to find the truth. You're not trying to prove yourself right. And in fact, proving yourself wrong is as valuable information as proving yourself right. You know, there's 
it's all just a, a quest for for truth and in its finest distillation of course science the scientific method is run by human beings and we're all flawed so of course it doesn't always happen that way but if you look to other sources particularly now you know if it's social media if it's news reports i mean the the news journalistic reporting of nutrition is is appalling i mean it, it's it's all mis people misunderstanding things people pushing agendas it, it's it's really the the quality is 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 terrible generally speaking so i wouldn't look to your favorite newspaper for for nutritional advice but yeah if if you can have a basic understanding of of at least reading the sort of abstract of a scientific paper they they are more accessible than you think particularly the more modern ones because there's a push towards using more accessible writing uh, mm. without too much jargon particularly in the abstract of a scientific paper but also it doesn't have to be me but if you go directly to someone who does read this stuff as part of their job and is it, one one thing i find i didn't realize this when i started but an important aspect of my role my job is to disseminate the scientific research our best current best understanding for a lay audience this is what i try and do in the seminars this is try what i try and do when i um do podcasts like this and this is what i try to do when i when i see people individually for consultations um so you can get in touch it doesn't have to be with me but anyone's welcome to get in touch with me if they like with someone who's who's willing to sort of discuss the intricacies of what we currently know in accessible terms that can be really valuable but don't go to facebook and don't go to twitter because uh, that's that's all just corrupted that unfortunately you know uh, I, I don't mean it as a conspiracy theory like i'm i have a facebook account but it's not it's not a, a quest for truth on social media platforms it's a quest for it almost for 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 conflict and attention and things that don't help us get to the truth and where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you if they want to have a consultation So for me the best thing is to go to my website um duncanrocknutrition.com uh I I also have if people are interested various videos and uh articles that I've written on some of these topics and and others um I tend to write on things that come up a lot in my private practice so obviously you know five patients ask me the same question there's probably more people who want an answer to that question so I'll write on that topic or or speak on that topic um yeah and 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 through my website uh, i can be contacted there's a sort of contact form or my email address on the bottom of every page and i i'm you know i i'm a, as you could probably tell i'm a bit of a nerd for this stuff so i'm always happy to chat um about any of these issues and then of course um you know i have a um instagram account where sometimes people contact me through duncan rock nutrition on instagram and that's yeah i i love when people reach out because it's uh, just an opportunity to um to talk about this interesting and 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 important stuff. Yeah, definitely. And it's so important also to say that you did some great nutritional videos for us over on the Bast membership. So if you are entering our giveaway today or you have a membership already, you can check those out on there. Duncan Rock, thank you so much. You are now free to go and order a pizza. <laughs> I I I might tonight. I'll uh I'll I'll see if I've earned it. I'll see if I've earned. It. You're you're free to have some crisps. If, yeah, don't worry. I don't need permission. I've got it. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. 
And who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple Podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click Write a Review.